If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And yes, it's time for a bit of being grounded and one of my favorite grounding people and a founder member of my foray into the gardening world, I would say, is none other than the lovely Linda Galvad. And thank you for coming and joining us once again. So it's been a while since we've actually chatted. It has been a while, Melmel. And thank you so much for having me on your amazing show. I, lo- I just love talking to you. You make the world a happy place. Well, that's good, as do you. So we just have a little bit of a mutual admiration society going on here. <laughs> well, what's not to love? I mean, Linda, of course, um, my partner in crime on so many different things, especially on uh, Gardening 101 on the Home Channel, where we got to do different things, me playing with pretties and her playing with veggies, and hopefully things to come because we've started doing a couple of little things of... Uh, YouTube stuff. So maybe we must shoot some more. We'll give, we'll give links to where people can find us on YouTube. I think that'll be a good way to go, don't you? Yeah, that will be a good way to go. And it was so much fun. Yes, we do have fun. Yeah. And this is a good thing is you can have fun with people when you're playing in the garden and playing in the mud. Um, okay, so before we get talking about things gardening, though, talking about technology and, and YouTube and that, I know you've been having a bit of a problem with um, Facebook and your, your business page and all of that because there are these absolutely revolting people out there who go and hack people's pages. And they, they hacked yours and you've been restricted by Facebook because of the stuff those people have been placed. So... I'm going to say anybody who knows how to get around this problem, then you can let us know. And of course, um, just you'll find Linda um, online and sort after seedlings because that's one of her companies <laughs> and you can help her out. But I'm sorry that you've been having such a problem, but at least, you know, um, there are ways and means of getting the information out there, this being one of them. So what have you been doing since we last actually chatted on on the podcast? Well, we have, I mean, it's winter now, so things are a bit quiet. You know, people really do believe that it's winter and you can't go out into your garden and plant vegetables. Meantime, I have the most magnificent two square meter garden full of different kinds of kale. You know, we sell that KX1, which is that red, beautiful kale. Mm. And, you know, anthocyanin, that antioxidant, is only found in red and purple vegetables. So, and grapes actually. So it's, it's magnificent. It grows beautifully. Then we've got chamoulier, which is like stalwart. It just grows. And the cavlonero, the Tuscan kale. It looks so pretty because we've done them in like patches. So that's what we're doing in our winter garden. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a couple of gardens for clients. The one garden was all in raised beds. It was really something to see. There were 20 raised beds. It's a huge garden and it's for, it's for a family and they really are going to get supplied with food for the whole winter. Mm. Of course, the beautiful rooftop organic garden at the Saxon the Hotel. The Sarapana Garden. The Sarapana Garden. I always walk up that ramp and just look at that garden and just, you know, I go, oh, wow. 
Yeah. Because it just has that impression on your soul. It's just such a beautiful place to be. And we're starting our courses again. We haven't done that for a while. We've been very busy distributing our new seed mm. range, uh, the Linda's Original Seeds, and getting retailers on board. We've got a lot of retailers in the Cape. So if anyone knows of a nursery in their area that they want to have our seeds, heirloom non-GMO seeds with great varieties mm. like cucumelon, those little melons. Oh, those little, oh they, they taste like cucumbers, but they're like little melons. Yeah. Yes. Dinky, they, like an inch long. Yeah, they're so cute. So we've got things like that and peanuts and hibiscus, which no one else sells. So this is the Frenchie Cementi range as well as Linda's Original, as seen on TV. As seen on <laughs> which TV. Which is always my favorite. Whenever yes. I talk about Linda's Original, it's like, as seen on TV, because there's Linda. What is the difference between the two, the, the two ranges, though? The major difference is seed amount. So okay. there's much less seeds in the Linda's original seeds. There's not a little bit of seeds. There's just much less than the thousands of seeds that you get in Frankie seeds. Mm. You know, you really get a huge amount of seeds in a packet. And for people who have got smaller gardens who want to try like a whole bunch of stuff, then the Linda's original seed range is for them. And they can also, you know, use them in pot gardens. Mm -hmm. You know, our seeds are anything from 10 seeds for a very large seed like Moringa to 300 seeds. So you're still getting a fair amount of seeds. I mean, you don't want more than 10 Moringa trees. No. Really. You know, yeah. you, you actually maybe want two. But things like our magnificent heritage corn, which is the corn with the different color uh, on the cob, you know, the purples and the cerises and etc. We've got 50 seeds in those because you have to have a minimum of 50 seeds to grow corn. And you grow it in like a grid mm -hmm. so that you can get ample germination and pollination. Well, pollination, which will give you germination, which will give you your cobs. Otherwise, you'll find that either you won't have cobs that develop at all, or you'll have cobs where half the kernels are missing. And that is a sign of not being fully pollinated. Oh, okay. You know, they pollinate by their silks. Do you know that the silks are very, very healthy? Like the Chinese actually, yeah. They make tea out of the silks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Chinese silk corn Tea, corn silk tea. Yeah. Okay, that would be interesting. But um, do you do any flowers? I mean, because a lot of um, people have been like putting up the question saying, we need to create bee superhighways and we need to have like, you know, these little pods of wildflowers and, and flowers that bees will love throughout the country to get the diversification up and get bees traveling around. Do you do any kind of endemic or indigenous seeds? Of flowers, or is it all just veggies? Well, we do do flowers. We do marigolds and nasturtiums. I think both of which are indigenous. Mm. Um, but more importantly than that, we do what we call, we have two. We've got a summer chicken garden and a winter chicken garden. And what they have in there is used threefold. One, for chickens, because they can pick these organic plants for them to eat. Mm. Two humans can eat them too, and they're amongst the healthiest things people can eat. And three, they're excellent for bees because they're things like clover, different kinds of clover, and bees love clover. So they're very, they're strong plants. They can grow anywhere. They're very useful, and bees love them. There's clover, there's oats, there's buckwheat. All those things, when they go to flower, bees love them. Mm. So that is something that I really absolutely would promote people to grow and if for nothing else um, they also a green a green fertilizer 
because they all plants that you can cut down and, and mix put them back into the soil yeah, for food. So really, really, if you just buy them for bees eating and you know cutting them back into your soil for feeding your soil and putting extra nitrogen in, do it. It's like b- b- using borage and things like that Absolutely. as well that you can put yeah. back into the yeah. soil. And the borage flowers, of course, bees love those Beautiful. too. Beautiful, they yeah. love them. And alfalfa, you know. Or somebody learn. once called it alpha alpha. I thought that was really funny. Um, They're part of the legume family. Yeah. So they're nitrogen fixers. Exactly. Yeah. Awesomeness. I'm just thinking, I don't have any chooks in my garden anymore. They made too much noise and they ate all my succulents. So I was very annoyed and they went to go and live on a party farm. (laughs) But I love chickens and they really are some of the most fantastic things. But you do need a chicken tractor and a lot of patience. Yeah. So, do you have any, should we say, traditional foods? Because I did a very interesting interview with yeah. um, uh, the foraging chef, uh, wow. Greg Henderson. And yes. we were talking about the foods that were indigenous to South Africa and trying to get people to actually understand there's like over 3,000 different things that are indigenous to South Africa. So, you're doing a lot of the stuff, obviously, with the Frankie Cementi is coming in from Italy. It's heirloom stuff from like that would have originally been from South America or from the Far East or whatever because they didn't have tomatoes in Italy to begin mm. with. So I never mm. know what they ate beforehand mm. if they didn't have tomatoes and pasta. What mm. did they eat? Like the English horrible grey food? No, they, they actually have, you know, I always think that if I ever want to be homeless, I'd want to be homeless in Italy because they've got so much food to forage there. I, I remember going to a park I think it was closer to the north. And literally, they had chestnuts falling on the floor. Mm. They had about six different mushrooms growing there wild. They had dandelions, which is amazing food. Mm. I mean, it's incredible. They had so many foods just growing wild that you don't even need to buy anything. So I was I was really, you know, I, I think that that's probably where, you know, the diversity of food that's indigenous to Italy came about but there there are things like there's a lot of leafy things like the Tuscan kale mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that are you know especially with Frankie there's a lot of providence so that's why you'll always notice that in a lot of our varieties it actually has got the name of the place where it comes from mm-hmm. like the Cavalonero is Tuscan kale and the Tromba del Benga is from El Benga mm-hmm. so there are there are a lot of foods that are particular to a region, which could have been there all the time. Although Roma tomato, which is Rome, and tomatoes actually come from, you know, South America. So unless it was adopted really early, or maybe it did come from there. I don't know. Maybe Roma tomatoes. No, did they didn't have tomatoes there. Not at I'm all. Sure. No, that's why I'm always so fascinated. You know what, 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 what people used to eat before, you know, the 1400s, yeah. when people started exploring all over the world. Grass. It's very interesting. Grass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a cow. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, South African, specifically South African stuff. I mean, we do have um, a lot of things that were indigenous. I think that, um, oh, I'm trying to think now, millet. Millet and sorghum mm. are very South African mm. things. Amazing. I mean, is anybody actually producing that as a seed crop? And this is an interesting one that people can grow at home. You know, I've got a relation who is in the seed business, but, you know, completely grains and they supply countries Mm. and sorghum is one of the biggest crops and they ship containers of sorghum into Africa, 
all over the world and it has become such a popular grain and obviously it grows here the best mm. it's become such a popular grain that from an agricultural perspective you now get um, hybrid sorghums and they're probably going to bring out GMO sorghums because of the demand so mm. for years and years looking at the agricultural variety list which I have to do to bring in the seeds that I do because it's all you know there's a lot of law that goes into that you've got to know the law and for years, there, there weren't, I, I didn't notice any hybrid sorghums, but now there are plenty. And amaranth is another one, isn't it? Amaranth is here. not local to South Africa. Not. It's South American. As also, far as I know. Okay. Yeah. Goosefoot is another word for it. Yeah. So I'm, try, I'm trying to think, I mean, what indigenous foods are there that, you know, people could start growing quite easily in their backyards? I think you're right. Millet and sorghum. I mean, sorghum is the most amazing food. It's multibella. Mm. I love multibella. Okay. That's one of you. I'm sure there's a whole lot of other people out there who like it. Um, I was going to say, uh, not many people do, but I no. love it. No, I, I kind of had a little bit when I was younger, but I was also like, I don't like pup either. But but then, of course, pup is not indigenous to South Africa. So Yeah. yeah. Sorghum, they also use sorghum for beer. mm is an Nkomboti. Nkomboti. Yeah, there you go. Nicely pronounced. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things that people use sorghum for in South Africa and Africa. And I think that, you know, that would be amazing to grow. Mm. What about buckwheat, Mel? What about it? It's is a it from here? No. It's is it not? No. Uh, that's what I, I don't we think need to find out. Wheat. I think it's a grain. Is it a grain? Yeah. We need to find out what there is that we can start creating all our own kind of like, you know, going back into um, the heritage of African foods. Isn't wheat a grain? Yes, wheat's a grain. That's why I said buckwheat. <laughs> Wheat's also yes. a grain. Um, as is rice. <laughs> as is rice. But buckwheat is, I, I don't know, I seem to think it could be indigenous. Hmm. We will look into that while you explain something to me about seeds coming from overseas agriculturally yes. as well. Yes. There's so many people who go overseas and then they go and they get seeds and then they bring the seeds back, which is actually against the law. all the rules and laws. Okay, so what do we do with these people? And it's a lot of people who even know what the rules are, but they still bring seeds back from overseas. Firstly, why is it not allowed? Secondly, how does one get around that issue? That's been a bone of contention for me for years because people do do that and we are fastidious about the law. You know, we've actually had to jump through so many hoops to get our varieties available and commercially available. Mm. In the beginning, it was almost impossible. We weren't allowed to sell to stores. We had to only sell to individuals where we could have a swap of information like an address. And that was to map environmental, possible environmental damage or disaster. Same as the Shotel borer, how it came into South Africa. You know all about that. Yeah. So there is the fear. I'll give you an example. When we bring in seeds, we have to get a permit. Um, and on that permit, it states that under these conditions, you can bring in a seed from a country. Mm. So often on the permanent will say, provided that the parent plant is free of, and it will give some kind of virus or disease. So if you know where the parent plant comes from, if it was grown in Italy or Russia or China or wherever the case may be, that area has to be free of that disease. If it isn't, it can't come into South Africa. Now, when you go overseas and you buy seed 
and you bring them in your suitcase, you don't know what the seed-borne diseases that seed has. Mm. You bring them into the country and you basically let that loose onto the environment. And it can be extremely damaging, extremely damaging. Like you can destroy crops. Mm. And I'm saying that and I know people who have, you know, planted crops of corn that were heirloom varieties and they planted those crops next to a, a farm that had GMO. A corn and there was cross-pollination and contamination onto the heirloom variety corn. So, you know, that kind of environmental damage happens even in that space. Uh, it's just more allowed and accepted. But in terms of bringing in seed from overseas, you've got to be really, really careful. And there's some seeds, like we have an issue with onions, bringing in onion seed that they have to either be treated with a fungicide. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, you can't just spray any fungicide. It's got to be allowed according to our agricultural department as well. So for our onion seed, we've, we've needed to use a fungicide in order to bring them in. But what's interesting now is the fungicide that we've always been allowed to use have been banned in Europe. So they don't use it anymore, and we have to have an alternative to give them, but you try and get that out of the agri department. Okay, okay. Yeah. that is quite an issue. And I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting and thinking about um, the story I've heard about bananas. You know that bananas may become extinct. No way. Because in the, we were talking about shot hole borer, and of course the shot hole borer comes in that little fornicatus, as it is, actually is called, and it drills into the thing. But on its back, it brings its food source, which is a fusarium fungus. The which fusarium is, is a dangerous, yeah. dangerous. Now there's fungus. a fusarium one a fungus which is actually affecting bananas, which is why the old school bananas, which weren't as sweet as the bananas we get today, um, I can't remember the names right now. That particular banana is almost completely unknown now, which is why they've changed the bananas over the years and they're getting much sweeter bananas. But this fusarium virus uh, fungus is affecting most banana strains, and it's running rampant around the world. And once the plant has it. It's gone, and it's very difficult to get out of the soil. So I keep on telling people, if you're going to plant any food plant in your back garden, plant a banana. Very, you can grow them in Johannesburg. You can grow them all over South yeah, Africa, basically. Yeah, they grow really well. Yeah. We're yeah. going to end up with no bananas. I mean, it's, it's actually quite a scary thought. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but you know, bananas are actually a herb. Yes. Isn't that amazing? And it's the largest herbaceous tree as well. It's and it's also a fruit, but not a fruit. It's a, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, actually, I think it's a berry. It's classified it's a as berry, a berry. But um, it's also under the geophyte range of bulbs. So, you know. No ways. Yeah, the banana is just absolutely phenomenal. That is phenomenal. But the banana, the original banana had huge black seeds mm. in the actual banana. And they're really not palatable. Mm. So they bred them to yeah. get the seeds out. And they used to be straight as well. And then they, they bred them so that they would curve. Why would they do that? I don't know, because people are weird. Why would they want an orange carrot when carrots were purple and white? Exactly, yeah. and green. How and did yellow. they do that? How did they make an orange know. carrot? I mean, people, it's like alchemy, this, this wizardry that um, plant breeders it's come true. up with. But, true. And that was in the 1700s yeah. that they came up with an orange carrot. Yeah, phenomenal stuff. Bread, bread, you know, I suppose. I mean, what was the guy's name who actually was the father of, I don't know, hybridization? I'm not sure, but he was a monk. Mm. Ring any bells? No, I'm, I'm just thinking of the guy who does all the taxonomy, which is Linnaeus. No, he did. Oh, maybe. 
No, I don't think he did that, did he? But he and how he actually used to take every single seed from every single specimen and you know oh, I found his name Colin. Joseph Gottlieb Kohlreiter from 1766 Is he the guy who created the orange carrot? The first rigorous investigations of the consequences of hybridization so anyway he's that person I will find the person who created the monk. I will find the monk who created orange carrots No no <laughs> um who started hybridization hybridization Yeah why why was it a monk? Don't know. Just remember it being a monk. Okay. Maybe he had time. <laughs> Gregor Mendel, a monk in his piece. There we go. Mendel. Mendel and that's yes. Gregor. Yes. Yeah. Mendelev. Uh, Mendel. There we go. So oh by the way, buckwheat is from Southeast Asia. Uh, oh, is it? Yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so the can monk we, who can grew we pea plants. The legend of, well, I'm going to have to read some more about this. The legend of an invisible monk. We need to learn how to do this as well. Not to necessarily hybridize because we like having the original heirloom seeds, mm. but a lot of people get confused between what is heirloom and what is organic. So yes. sometimes they'll say, Oh no, it's an organic seed or this is an heirloom seed and therefore it must be organic. So mm. it, just explain a bit about how that kind of classification works. So heirloom is genetic. Mm. It's actually the genetic makeup of the plant. You can never change that unless you hybridize that heirloom with something else and then you get a hybrid or you genetically modify those genetics. But if you can have an heirloom seed, grow it in an organic environment. So making something organic is the methodology. What methods have you used to grow the plant or mm. the heirloom seed? So let's say you take an heirloom seed, an heirloom carrot seed, and you grow a whole bunch of them, and you start spraying it with pesticides and insecticides and fungicides. The plant grows in that kind of environment using those methods that you now use. You're putting chemical fertilizers in, and the plant then produces seed. Mm. Those seeds are still going to be an heirloom because genetically they're an heirloom. In other words, they're very old. They've been around for a long time. They have a lot of different genetics. They're resilient, although when you uh, apply pesticides and insecticides, etc., you're taking away one of the most important uh, parts of an heirloom, which means that you are detracting from the fact that they are extremely resilient mm -hmm. because of their genetics, which allows you to plant them in environments where you don't have to put pesticides and insecticides. Not, not really. I say not really because they grow just fine without them. Mm -hmm. We've been growing them just fine without them. So if you take that carrot seed, it's still heirloom but it is not organic because the methods you used to grow it were not organic. If you plant an heirloom seed and you don't put chemical fertilizers, pesticides, insecticides, herbicides, you use organic methodology, protocol, etc., the seed you get from that plant will be organic and heirloom. And that's what we're aiming at. That's what you're aiming for. And interestingly enough, when you grow a seed, an heirloom seed, even if it's not organic, if you grow an heirloom seed in an environment preferably where it is an organic environment and it should be, that seed becomes stronger because it's acclimated to its biome. Mm. And when you replant from saving those seeds, you will get an even stronger crop. Mm. It will e be even better. 
And that's what we want to be doing. I can't believe, though, that, I mean, I'm sitting here and thinking, oh, I like sharing my seeds with people. And you, of course, share seeds um, a lot. But there's some countries where they've been outlawing the sharing of seeds between the, indig- in, the people that live in the area. They're, I don't know. I don't know because maybe they're using heirloom seeds and now they want everybody to grow a specific like, you know, seed company that they must like use the GMO seeds or whatever or hybrids and whatever. So they won't create their own seed. I don't know, but I've been hearing from a couple of places where there are countries that they don't want them to do any seed sharing. And of course, I'm like big on, on share, share and share alike. Yeah. Create this culture. I mean, what was a, a beautiful book? By Ruth Ozeki, I think it is called All Over Creation, which is about a, a whole bunch of seed savers and, and they, they like almost anarchistic. Really? Yeah. In their seed saving and sharing. So maybe that's the whole point. You know, the, these megalopathies don't want their seeds to be just pawned for mm-hmm. nothing, really, mm-hmm. because how are they going to ensure sales and there's no longevity for them? Especially seed sharing, because traditionally those are heirloom organic seeds, mm. traditionally. So that already um, is part of food security, seed saving. You won't need to go and buy more seeds mm. when you've already got some. And plants produce a lot of seed, a lot of seeds. Yeah. But, I mean, we need to create more food security. I mean, the, the problems that are happening up in Eastern mm. Africa again, once again, people going hungry, people starving, you know, I mean, the, the food programs that are being set into place by the UN and places like that. We need to actually get everybody growing in their own backyards, regardless of where you come from, how much money you have. And the best way to do that is to actually share. Yeah. Absolutely. And growing, you know, I always say people are always so excited to grow a whole lot of different kinds of Mm. varieties. And I absolutely support that because if it's going to take exciting stuff in your garden for you to actually eat it because you're just sick and tired of the, you know, the same cucumber, the same cauliflower, etc., go and be exciting. Bring that excitement into your kitchen. Start experimenting with these new varieties like purple cauliflower. See what you can make from them. You know, it introduces this whole interest interest in cooking and bringing that excitement into your home, really. Mm. But if you can't, if it's just a pure requirement that you have food, any food, grow things that are going to give you healthy, long-lasting High growing crops like Swiss chard, which South Africans call spinach, Maroch. yeah, no. or maroch, um, or kale schmulier, or the Tuscan kale. These plants produce over a long period. The Trombadel benga produces anything from September to March. Now you have to explain what that is. I know what it is. It's oh. a, it's a, is it a gourd or a, or a marrow? It's a marrow. It's a marrow. It's a marrow. But it looks like a curly, whirly butternut. Yes. Which hangs, I've seen, hanging from trees. Yes. But it looks like the shape of a trombone. Yes. So you can wrap your body in it. <laughs> well, not quite. <laughs> wrap it in your body would be a much better way to go. But I mean, it is absolutely the most fascinating amazing thing. Amazing plant. Um, a client of mine grew one plant and she got 20 kilograms of produce mm. from one plant. They just produce and produce and produce. And that's actually what you need. It's all well and good having fun things in your garden, but you want you want harvest. You mm. want to be able to harvest over the longest period of time. 
And planting things at the right time is really important. You know, if you need food, there's going to be a time where you cannot harvest anything unless you've planned things really, really well, like you've planted a long growing crop like mm. Swiss chard or kale schmulier, where you can actually harvest during the time of year where the rest of your seedlings are still growing, like in spring. Mm. You know, you've got your winter crops going through winter and still being available to you during spring, while your summer crops that you've planted in spring aren't yet oh, available yeah, are to going eat. To be coming through. And, and planting fast-growing crops like lettuce or radish. And you can eat the leaves of radish. They're the same family as cabbage. Mm. You know, or Swiss chard. Yeah, because they're also cruciferous. Season. You're quite exactly. right. So all the cruciferous vegetables, of course, are the ones that um, you know we can plant out in winter time. Yeah. And then we are now going into winter. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the first of June is always like when winter actually is real. And I've unpacked my my clothing, my winter yeah. clothing. But what else can people? You mentioned the kale, obviously the cruciferous vegetables, which is your broccoli, your cabbages, your cauliflowers, your Chinese greens, yes. they're all cruciferous yes, and they're they all are. very, very healthy. Yeah. Yes, they may make you a bit flatulent, but you know what? They're really, really good for you. Brussels sprouts, what else is there? They're there's really a host of stuff. Kale there's, is one of them. There's kohlrabi, there's radish. Yeah. Um, there's rocket, a cultivated rocket and wild rocket is also cruciferous, but they summer crops. Yeah, so what is there for winter apart from those? Well, radish is an all-season crop, mm -hmm. and um, your beetroot, which is an all-season crop, your carrots, your Swiss chard, all all-season and crops. And lettuces. Your lettuce are all-season crops, um, and those things you really should, you know, get growing all year because they are high-producing plants. And they can cope through all seasons. And there's, you know, f like for example, beetroot, you can eat the leaves, which is the exact same thing as Swiss chard. Mm. And you can eat the root. Your carrots as well. You can eat the fronds, the, mm. the leaves, and the carrots. And you can make pesto from the fronds Absolutely, too. Absolutely, yeah. which is delicious. And, you know, high fiber vegetables are very, very important. They really do help your gut remain healthy and mm. strong, mm. which invariably, you know, turns into you being a healthy human you know gut health is that's that's something that i'm i'm really passionate about is gut health mm. and how it affects your mental and physical health inflammation is you know endemic to everybody these days really because all diseases come from inflammation and you've got to really really get your gut well and healthy to bring down that inflammation mm. you know even age is an inflammatory thing even age. And if you bring aging, should I say aging, and if you bring down your inflammation by eating correctly, lots and lots of organic vegetables, because anything poison disrupts your gut bacteria. Yeah. So if you eat a lot of organic vegetables, and I have to stress organic vegetables, mm. people say there's no difference, there's plenty difference. Do you have a grow list for people, for instance, who have rheumatoid arthritis? You should put a special thing so together that, that the people can grow in idea. their gardens. Such a good idea. Because I know so many people who have got it and they really, really battle and it's all about an inflammation. Your cruciferous vegetables yeah. are the way to go. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Because interestingly enough, your cruciferous vegetables are high fiber, mm -hmm. alkaline producing, lots and lots and lots of antioxidants in them. And that's basically what you want. Flavonols, flavonoids, antioxidants, you need that. Mm -hmm. Use colors. We've got a beetroot called Egito. It's a very, very rare thing to grow, and I'll tell you why. Because the leaves 
are not like the Detroit beetroot where you've got the leaves are green with a red vein. Yeah. These are blood red. The leaves have I want absolutely some. no green. I need to grow these. Yeah, no, they're fascinating. And the, and the beetroot color is absolutely like bull's blood. It's, it, Detroit beetroot even looks light in comparison. I'm getting all hungry here. No. I'm imagining I'm making like <laughs> dragon's blood, which is, we make with, with beetroot juice and ginger and Ooh, a little bit of yum. apple juice. And it's just absolutely it divine. divine. Okay. Now I'm thinking I need to go home and make a, a veggie and boinky soup. So yes. yeah. beans as well. What beans can we grow at this time of year? Because obviously putting those into the soup just make everything like really bulky and fantastic. Um, broad beans. Broad, broad beans, beans for this time of the yeah, year. Yeah, broad beans for this time of year. And broad beans are just delicious. Uh, they're my favorite bean, broad beans. Okay. My favorite bean. I'm, yeah, I'm very into beans. There's a lot of beans out there. I, I can't get my kids to eat beans except for baked beans. And I'm just like, <coughs> I like beans. It's the tomato sauce in the baked beans that yeah. I obviously love. Beans, beans are very health, healthy. But there is… Um, beans, beans, they're good for your heart. They help you something and they help you… <laughs> I'm not going to say the rest of it. It was one of the things we used to shout when we were kids. But um, yes. now, what I, I mean, we're kind of running out of time. Unfortunately, I could stay here and chat to you about this all day long. But with your your technological woes yes. um, happening, how do people get hold of you? I mean, your website is obviously fine. It's running. Yes. No, our website is perfect. It's not related to Facebook. Besides our, you know, our social media platform, we're now using Instagram. Mm -hmm. So our posts do go onto Facebook uh, business as well for now because they connected. There's a cross posting. But um, if you're on Instagram, and Instagram is now the new thing, mm. actually. There's a lot of information it's much on prettier. Instagram. It is. Less and stressful. It, and it's, it's yeah, because you don't get that all that other nonsense coming onto your page. And we're on YouTube. You know, all our videos that we did on Gardening 101 is on YouTube. And we actually have quite an international following on those. Oh, fantastic. People love them. And yeah. if you've got any ideas of what you'd like to see Linda and or myself doing… <laughs> and you can let us know. Us, let us know. Yeah, because we're always interested to know what people want to see rather than us sort of directing and deciding what we think you should know. We want to know what you know. Yeah. What do you want to know? Send it to the home channel. Yes. Let tell them, them we know. need to do another series. Yes. Let them know that you're interested in, you know, gardening and you need to know more about it, especially now with load shedding. I mean, let's not even go there, but. Yeah, being being self-sustainable on so many levels. And Mel, you know a lot about that. Mm. Gardening, self-sustainability, you know, solar, all those kinds of things. I remember you had that guy, the fire pit guy. I mean, that is yeah. a form of actually cooking your food yeah. if you have a fire pit. And well, everybody have should have bit. some kind of fire yeah. pit now. Even if you just have something small on your on your patio and create your own little version of a fire pit. Yeah. Why not? You know, we don't have electricity a lot of the time. Um, so let's get out there and be convivial. Ooh. Nice glass of red wine with all those wonderful flavonoids and things. Some stuff that you've just pulled out of your garden. Delicious. Cut out some of the red meat and rather go for something like grill Beans. some corn. Oh, make beans. a big boi a, a boinky boinky. There we go. Yes, that's delicious. So, if anybody wants to get hold of Linda, of course, sortafterseedlings.co.za is the place to go, and um, she is just fantastic when it comes to being the foremost person when it comes to knowing how to grow veggies in South Africa. Linda, Thank always you, a Mel. delight. Thank you, my darling. We'll catch you again. And of course, I'm sure that Linda will agree with me that what you need to do in life is just always get out there and remain grounded. Absolutely. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook. Facebook.